0: Welcome to Knit British, the podcast which explores all the connections of Britishness in wool and knitting. On this journey through local fibre, meeting all the people involved from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Knit British and love local wool. Knit British is sponsored by the Knitting Goddess. Joy dyes luxury British wool bases at her studio in Harrogate. Find incredible blends such as Blueface Leicester and Massam, Shetland and Wensleydale and the unrivaled Britsock in incredible colours at www.thenittinggoddess.co.uk. This weekend, visit Joy at the Knitting and Stitching Show in Harrogate. If you can't make it there, visit her website to treat yourself, to luxury yarn, screen-printed bags, or fantastic felt Christmas decorations. Hello and welcome in to the Knit British cocoon. I am all warm and cosy here on the couch. It's very cold outside. And I'm sitting here with my whip, which is the Woolly Wormhead Mystery Knit Long. I'm doing the berry. And my drink, which is a nice tall glass of water. Although it really should be something hot on this cold day. But never mind. got to keep your water and intake up. Uh, <laughs> how are you? A very warm welcome if you're joining us on the podcast for the first time today. It's lovely to have you here. I'm going to have one or two little newsy bits for you. And then I have a very defined theme this week, which is valuing your knitting and all aspects of that. How other people value knitting and making sure that you merit your work enough to charge a reasonable rate for it if you sell your items or make for commission. So stay tuned for that. First of all, thank you very much to everyone who got in contact after the last episode. I'm very glad that many of you were enabled into Knitting Goddess Clubs for 2017. That's awesome. Also, thank you very much for your encouragement in my crochet. I posted on Instagram this week that I'm using up some of my natural coloured DK that I have in stash to do a crochet blanket as well. It's all gone a bit crochet mad over here. Not quite ready to call it knit and crochet British just yet. Uh, but uh, knitting is definitely, definitely top of the pops at the moment. I have my Wooly Wormhead M. Carl Berry on the go. And I have um, my In Stillness sweater which I haven't worked on much this week. And I also cast on a scarf. This week as well in Little Houndsdale's Suffolk Cross with Alpaca yarn, which I will probably go into more detail about in another episode. Also, quickly, I must say apologies if you have had problems with knitbritish.net recently. We are changing up what we're doing behind the scenes a little bit, and it has been a little bit disruptive. The, the website's been going down for a few minutes and then back up again. It's mostly annoying for those of you who listen to the podcast at knitbuttish.net. There are other ways to listen to the podcast. You can use an app. Uh, you can use a podcatcher. Um, you can uh, find us on iTunes, of course. Uh, I So I do apologise. Things will be better shortly. But apologies to those of you who whose listening was affected by that um, recently. I don't like to, to impinge on your listening pleasure in any way, shape or form. So uh, firstly, I need to say this because you've on, you've only got a couple of days left to enter there is a competition in the Knit British Ravelry Group for drrr, <laughs> two tickets for the Wool Tribe Christmas Party in Edinburgh this is organised by Joe and Mika of the Edinburgh Yarn Festival. You would have heard them talking about it on the Edinburgh Yarn Festival episode recently. It's next Saturday, which is the 3rd of December. Uh, uh, it starts at half past five. There's going to be awesome uh, little pop-up market, fun and games, and incredible food at ACVA, uh, which is at Fountain Bridge. So, you only have a couple of days left to enter for these two tickets, please see the NetBus British Traveller Group for the, as usual, strict rules, i.e. I know you all want to be able to go to the dinner, but realistically, please only enter if you can come to Edinburgh on the 3rd of December. Please don't comment and say how much you'd love to. It's entry only uh, over there, no chat. Also, if you don't want to risked the look of the draw and this is the first time you're hearing about it, head on over to wooltribe.com to see if there are any tickets left it promises to be an absolutely awesome knitterly Christmas party, what could be more awesome than that? Um, so yeah, do jump on over to the Ravelry group uh, to find that thread To start this week's episode, I am going to start with three little words which mean heaps. Knitters are awesome. I know you know this, uh, but some people might not be fully aware of the fact, and if anyone... You know, or if you need reminding of how wonderful and caring knitters are, you should go over to social media and look at the hashtag KnittersPayItForward and look at knitters' reaction to a shitty, shitty, shitty fucking world-changing election result. Knitters all over the world did little things ...just to help their fellow knitters feel warm and cosy and spread the love. Knitters are indeed awesome. Today I want to talk about knitting for others, knitting for money and being knit-worthy. And you will hear words like value, time, skills, knowledge, a big lot today. I've also got two meaningful knit stories that tie in nicely... It is a theme-heavy episode, so if you don't want to listen all the way through, here it is in a nutshell. One, you are a knitter and you have mad skills. Two, value yourself as a knitter. Three, if you're asked to knit for commission, know your value enough to charge as appropriately as possible. Four, if you're asked to knit for family and friends, or acquaintances. Make sure you know who is knit-worthy, and don't be afraid to ask for costs if applicable and appropriate. This and lots more. I have a lot of opinion on this so stay tuned if you fancy. I have now moved over to getting a coffee for myself rather than water because I feel I need something a bit stronger for this episode. So, Are you amid your gift knitting for Christmas? One month now to go to the big Christmas day and I know lots of you have been knitting your gifts for weeks now and some of you are maybe only springing into action now. So do you get requests at this time of year? Are they from friends and family who want a new hat or new socks? Or are they from colleagues who are feeling the cold or want to give your knits away as presents? Are they truly knit-worthy? Or are you desperately trying to deflect requests from people who think you can knit them any old crap because, quote, all you do is knit? (laughs) Before looking at this in more detail, I think we need to remember what knitting is. Knitting is a craft. It is a set of skills and we learn these skills on the job. With every finished object, we are fine honing those skills and it doesn't matter if you just use the knit stitch and you create blanket squares and and scarves or if you use lots and lots and lots and lots of different stitches we can do a thing that the person who's sitting next to us on the bus probably can't do Uh, and they're probably skilled in something that we can't do Um, but the thing I mean here is you work hard at your craft and every cast off item is a badge of your fine work Knitting is just two stitches, it's knits and purls. And like I say, whether you're just knitting a a garter stitch scarf or you do lacework onesies, um, you're creating warmth and, well, I don't know how warm a lacework lace onesie would be. But you create warmth, you create dimension and structure with yarn. You Your yarn can be animal, it can be plant-based, it can be petrochemical synthetics if that's what you really want. You know, we're not... We don't just love putting those stitches together, but we love the materials we use as well. I love 100% wool. British, if possible. grown, spun or dyed in the British Isles. Characterful, textured. I love it flowing through my fingers and on my chai goo needles, which are my weapon of choice. And I spend a lot of thought and money on my craft. And I think we all... Make those informed decisions and know what it like, what we like when it comes to how we exercise our craft. So, I hope you're under, under no misunderstanding of what I'm trying to say here. You knit, you are a skilled craftsperson. Give that merit, give that the value it deserves. I hear a lot of people say, Oh, I don't, I'm not much of a knitter, I only do. X, Y, or Z. Um, are there are people who've been knitting for 50 years who've just been knitting X, Y, or Z. I'm sorry, I'm fa- failing to come up with something. Let's, let's use the scarf example or the blanket squares example again. If you've been knitting that for for year upon year, you can't say I'm not much of a knitter. You are a skilled craftsperson. When another knitter compliments us on something that we've made, we are so chuffed. We are so chuffed because we know that that knitter appreciates knitwear and that's that's a, a confirmation of the value that we have as knitters and the value in the things that we make, even though we still go, oh, but look at this tiny little flaw that only I can see that I know is there. But maybe, I don't know why that is. Maybe we're modest. Maybe it's just pointing out some teeny tiny gap in our ongoing learning, perhaps. I don't know why we do that, actually. <laughs> But it is easy and it's lovely as well to talk to knitters about how wonderful the craft is. We all get it. We all understand. Enter someone who doesn't knit and it can be a very different story, can't it? Cliches, stereotypes, misunderstandings can be rife. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I wish I could sit and knit all day. You've heard them, we've all heard them. Last week I was on a train and two girls got on a Durham and made comments, jokes and laughed at me, kind of giggled at me and my knitting all the way to Berwick. I could have said, fuck off. Sorry, there are swears in this episode. I could have said genuinely, do you want me to show you how? I could have hidden my knitting, spared any blushes, But why? It's the longest journey. I'd be bored and that's a really good time for knitting that I look forward to. I was looking forward to that time. Like most knitters do, we mark time we spend by knitting sometimes. You know, journeys, doctor's waiting rooms. Some people aren't interested in being enlightened and they're not interested in knowing that the stereotypes and cliches are just that. Other non-knitters are kind of interested. Some, some of them might have had knitting nanas. They're not too sure, but they could stand to hear about the craft and not recoil. And that means that there is hope. <laughs> Those are the kind of non-knitters we like. The ones who like to hear about what knitting is and what it means to us as knitters. But what do you do when a non-knitter asks you to knit something for them? For them personally, I guess, or for them to give as a gift to someone that they know. There are a few ways to look at it. The first question I would ask is, are they knit-worthy? Would they appreciate the work involved and the time it takes to make it? Also, I'd think about what they're asking me to make. Is it something that I am happy to give my time knitting to? Because we know knitting time is precious. I've said it before, knitting is our life raft. It is a special time. When we have a minute to sit down and knit on a row to take us out of our day, that is a special time. And something else I've said before on the podcast is life is too short to knit things that you do not like. And if it's an item that you want to knit and you can connect with, then that's good. You'll enjoy knitting it, but... If it's someone else's choice, what are you? You're just the practitioner. You have no interest in that other than you're making it for somebody that you know. What about your time and the materials that's going into it? If they're net worthy perhaps you'll you know use something nice from your stash. But what if they want a specific wool or they have specific... Fibre requests, are you happy to introduce a price for them so that you can buy those or would you buy them yourself? I suppose it depends on how knitworthy they are. Right now I'm knitting a scarf for someone and it's a gift. So the £30 for the wool and alpaca blend is happily paid by me. I like the fibre, I've used it before, I know they'll appreciate my knitting, the warmth and the love that's gone into every stitch. If I was asked by a friend or colleague to knit them this very same scarf to order, I'd ask for the materials cost plus something for my time. About 50 quid would do it and that's not the full cost, of course, it's, but it's, I think that is reasonable and I wouldn't be frightened to say if you want me to make this for you, this is what what it's going to cost. If someone else asked me, like an acquaintance or, you know, a stranger, I would quote them, the national living wage plus materials. £200 scarf, anybody? (laughs) I mean, we'll laugh, but it's sad because those are the hours it took to make it. That is the cost of the wool. And we're probably not including the time it took to rip back a mistake, fix issues, weaving in ends. Do you charge for that? Uh, it, you know, people balk at the fact that a knitted handmade item can carry such a price tag. But we value the time that it takes to make that thing. We value our skills. I would say anything like fine lacework, colour work should also carry a premium. Let's not mess about here, I repeat You are a skilled craftsperson. Your work has value and it has merit. And it is not unreasonable to ask for money towards materials and time. So what if you tell the non-knitter that's asking you to make this thing for them that you don't take orders? I do usually follow up any no, I'm not going to knit that for you with something like uh, but I'll show you how to get started, or I can point you in the direction of tuition. Uh, that usually is met with a stony silence, once a swear word, um, and also people saying, well, I don't have time to do that. I also once had a threat that someone, will, someone said, well, I'll just go to Primark then. Mostly I've had, oh, okay then, you know, you, you won't need it for me, okay, whatever. But sometimes I get the reply, like an incredulous, how can't I? Uh, There's the subtext there. All I do is knit. How can't I knit something for someone? Uh, A really good example of this very recently had a text from a relation. who said, I'd really like you to knit me a cardigan. I think I need some wool in my life. See, they were trying to get at me with the wool thing there. Uh, (laughs) Trying to butter me up with, I think I need some wool in my life. I don't really knit till Christmas. (laughs) Um, I kind of replied and said, well... No, I have a jumper that I cast on in August that I haven't finished. And the reply came, how have you not finished that already? Again, subtext being, because all you do is knit. And I said, well, you know what, I have three jobs and I have a life (laughs) outside of knitting. And when I sit down to knit, it's a special time for me. Also, I am a really slow knitter and I cannot and will not knit to tight deadlines. That's another thing that takes the enjoyment out of knitting for me. Totally. But in one way, I'm being utterly valued for my skills. You know, Louise knits. I do not knit. Hence, perhaps I can ask her to lavish me with that skill. There is value for that person who is requesting the knitwear. They are also recognising that my knowledge of wool is valuable too. And that they can benefit from having worn a knitted item in wool made by me. But then replying... Oh, well, just buy one from Primark then. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. You know, any kind of negative, huffy reply is an absolutely fatal misunderstanding of the skills and it removes all value previously intimated. I have to say that person was offering to pay me for my time. Uh, but the misunderstanding that I can knit something quickly and do it for them and that's all I had time to do is, it's such a shame. Uh, The other thing that they replied was, well, the next cardigan you make has my name on it. Again, misunderstanding that I just knit anything because I like to knit, that my hands must be employed in knitting at all times. Do people really think that? Do people really think that knitters knit because... It's something that they, you know, like a broken record needle or something that we just need to knit. We just keep on knitting. We'll just knit anything, uh, you know, or we have quota somewhat. Um, I must knit um, 365 hats this year. Uh, I don't know. It was, a weird, it was a weird thing to say, but it's something that I have encountered before. That we're happy to knit anything and will. And unfortunately, stereotypes and cliches and misunderstandings, they are deeply ingrained. We'll never, ever, ever chip away at everyone and make everyone who doesn't knit understand. And it's, you know, it's hard to reason with that kind of mentality, unfortunately. Now, the knitworthy. oh boy, they are awesome, aren't they? They are very, very special people. And they get it. They don't knit. But to a large or if not full extent, they get it. And they're not just the nearest and dearest. Because let's face it, some of our nearest and dearest don't, really don't get it. Obviously, my I have a good example I've just given you there. But the knitworthy, they are wonderful people who really appreciate every stitch. Every time we've tinked back, they feel all the love and good wishes that we put into those stitches so the knit worthy aren't just people in our lives who deserve our knitting but they they they're people who just get it who understand what went into that knitted item for them so round of applause for the knit worthy please Uh, (laughs) here are two special meaningful knit stories about knit worthiness and those very special people in our lives who are knit worthy First up is Nancy Hughes who I met at Shetland Woolweek and she took part in the book of Hapsalong uh, and before Shetland Wool Week, she sent me an email. I'm going to read it to you. Louise, I have a meaningful knit story for you. My grandmother Jeannie Kelso was born and spent her childhood in Alexandria, Scotland. She came to America when she was 10 years old with her mom, dad and sister. My sister Julie and I were lucky enough to take a trip to Scotland in 2007. We asked her to go with us but she said she would slow us down because she was too old. She was 91. So my sister and I went without, without her. We called her a couple of times and sent postcards and she said she woke up every morning wondering where we were and what we were doing. We went to Alexandria, saw the school she attended, went to the park she played in as a child. We even had someone take a picture of us in that park, holding a picture of her to show that she was there with us. She died five months after her trip and I'm glad we made the trip while she was alive. She was a knitter as well as a crocheter. She learned to knit in school as a child. I assumed it's where she also learned to crochet. I don't remember her telling me. She taught me to crochet in 1993 and to knit in 2006 and I still do both. Whenever I would finish a project I would take it to her house and she would be excited about it as I was. She saw the good in everyone and had a great sense of humour. When we found out she was dying, one of my cousins, her granddaughter Sherry, was pregnant with her first child. She couldn't make anything for the baby like she always did. I went into the craft room and a baby blanket was laying there and I said, why don't you give this to Sherry? She said, it's a screw up. I opened it and it was misshaped badly. We both started laughing. At my grandmother's funeral, I was asked if there's anything I wanted to put in the coffin with her. I put that blanket over her arms. I figured we both had a good laugh over it and maybe she wouldn't want someone else to get their hands on it. I was very close to my grandmother I have many things that she made for me One day when I stopped by to visit her I noticed a knitted tam on the table I put it on and said doesn't this look good to me and she chuckled and said yes it does and she told me that I could have it I asked her who she made it for and she told me she made it for my grandfather her husband Joe who was in a nursing home She didn't have the chance to give it to him before he went in and he didn't need it because we knew he wasn't coming back He had dementia and she couldn't care for him on her own anymore. That tam is special to me because it was made by her for him. They were married over 60 years before he died. It is a textured pattern with knit and pearl flags on it and it's made of brown wool. I'm not sure if the yarn brand or what the pattern it was made from was. I wore the tam all winter long until one windy day it almost blew off my head. I have not worn it since because I would be devastated if I lost it. I should get it out and wear it but only on calm days. I still miss my grandmother very much and when I finish a new project I often wish she was still here so I could take it to her house and sure. And that's from Nancy who's laying cable on Ravelry and I'll post a picture of her Grandpa Joe's hat in the show notes it's incredible how again there there's an example of someone who learned to knit it was a shared skill from their grandmother and they both shared that love of knitting and and the excitement of finished objects and laughed over the objects that maybe didn't turn out so good and shared objects and finished items that are now... Well, I suppose in the case of the hat, was already full of meaning and now is doubly meaningful to Nancy. It was made for someone else, but in the end it was meant for her and it holds so much for her. It's absolutely incredible. Another incredible meaningful knit and an example of knit-worthy at its best, is from Elaine, who is so Cherry Knits. And this is Elaine's email. I've just listened to a recent podcast about meaningful knits and thought I'd include mine, though it was not knitted by me. The knit is my wedding shawl, knitted by my best friend, Lilith. All shawls knitted for a bride for their wedding are the most special, meaningful gifts of all, of course. However, I feel mine has such a special place in my heart. I knew Lilith was knitting me a shawl and I knew it would be a Shetland laceweight shawl. Uh, Jimison Smith Shetland Supreme one-ply gossamer, to be exact. I'd given her a list of my likes and dislikes and left it to be a surprise. She chose the Brora black shawl, a pattern by Gladys Almedro, designed for hunters of Brora woolen mill in black laceweight that they were supplying for Jimison Smith back when Brora's were still functioning. The mill has special meaning, as Brora is where my family are from, and my granny worked in this mill for years. I believe the pattern was inspired by the trees between Brora and Galsby, which has many fond memories for me when I would visit in the summer as a child. I loved the shawl so much, and when she gave it to me the evening before my wedding, the pattern was recognised by myself, my mum and my granny, who all burst into tears, <laughs> much to the confusion of the non-knitters in the party. You can read Lilith, Lilith's account of The Knit at oldmaidenant.com forward slash one one eight three three five hyphen stitches. Yes, 118,335 stitches are exactly how many is in the shawl. That's, that makes me, chokes me up every time I read that. And it's, laden with love, such a special pattern, special stitches, special yarn for an incredibly special occasion. There are people who are knit worthy in our lives who will always, always be worth the time and effort it takes to create a knitted work of art. I opened up a chat in the Ravelry group on this topic of gift knitting and charging for knitted work. And thank you so much to everyone there who has weighed in. And do feel free to add your own voice too. There's a lot in there about the contradictions and the misunderstandings around knitting. And there's lots of interesting opinions in that thread on gif knitting, being knit worthy and actually test knitting too. Which wasn't actually in my mind when I started that thread. Uh, but there are people who test knit and do it, you know, regularly for the same designers. And I do wonder if there's more than just a pattern or, a, you know, that kind of recompense for those knitters. But thank you for those people who have, have weighed in on that subject. And when it comes to knitting gifts, I generally, myself, I only knit for the knit-worthy in my life. <laughs> the first year that I did gift knitting for Christmas might have been 2009, maybe. I'd been knitting for about a year. And I made the same cowl for six friends. It was a Hayley Waksberg I think she's knitomatic on Ravelry, Mobius Cowl. And I knit them all in Colinette Iona, which is now, well, Colinet is sadly no longer. Uh, it was a wool mohair and silk blend. Great colours that they dyed at Colinette. And I made I made them all the same, but for each one. You know, I was thinking about the person while I was knitting it, thinking about them wearing it, putting good wishes into it. And was so pleased that I was able to knit anything that was worth giving away as a present. And of those six, I know two people who still wear their cowls. One ended up in a charity shop, and I know that because I saw it in the charity shop. Uh, another cowl was given away to someone who complimented them on it. And my friend said, well, they would get more enjoyment out of it because they complimented they really liked it. And that's fine. The charity shop and the giving away, I'm, I'm okay with that. If you feel like you don't want to wear it or someone else will get more love and wear out of it, that's awesome, that's fine. The other two, I think, are probably at the bottom of a wardrobe or a drawer somewhere, never to be worn, never i suspect even think about how much work went into it and like knitting is a skill and like you learn on the job you also learn lessons like this too the two people who still wear their theirs i will knit for them they emerged as the utterly knit worthy and um yeah it's it's true you 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 learn these things as we go along. I'm, f- I'm sure there are still Christmas jumpers and n- knitwear being foisted upon the unknitworthy. Um, but I hope if we, if you're listening to this and you know that your knits don't go down well with your needers and deaters, stop doing it. Start giving them to people who do appreciate your knitwear. Um, <laughs> and make sure that, uh, that the value in your knitting goes on and on. Uh, also in that thread in the Knit British Ravelry group, I think it's called Charging for Your Knitting, lots of people were faced with phrases like it's your hobby, it's not your work, donating that to the requester doesn't think that there's any labour involved with knitting. Also knitters in that group with the feeling that from an outside perspective, there is a mentality that handmade is somehow, should be cheaper than mass produced. Let's say the perspective that you can sit down and knit it for me, it must be cheaper than me going out and finding one on the high street. That is, you know, let's just think about that for a second. I, according to that outside perspective, have nothing to do but sit and idly knit all day. And my time is worth less to you than a Primark scarf that costs five pounds made in Bangladesh probably from acrylic. That 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 can make you weep. That that's that's very, very sad. Very sad indeed. When it comes to making things to sell, I don't do this. I did very briefly at one point, but the time and effort was not worth the cost that it was being sold for. And, you know, knitters have been exploited for years and years. It goes a long way back. The barter system saw things like absolutely, incredibly fine Shetland knitwear made from hand-spun wool. Those items being exchanged for tea or flour or goods like that. No money ever making it into the knitter's hand for all that work that they did. Anyone working in knitwear today and I'm talking about dyers, designers, but, you know, especially hand crafters, a real wage for the work done is nigh on impossible to achieve. It's sad. It's very sad that we can't achieve that, but it is nigh on impossible. But do not forget, knitting is a skilled craft. You should be able to charge appropriately a reasonable rate. I'm going to put a few links in the show notes about... Um, how to charge for your knitting if you are selling in your you know at a craft show or similar, but please bear in mind these are all different approaches. If you're asked to knit for commission to undertake piecework or you're selling your own items, do your research. Where necessary, negotiate a fairer price. Because if you're not happy, just don't do it. I know this is easy for me to say because I don't um, sell things and it's not so easy to do this in business practice or find a pricing model that really, really works. Indeed, it might change from job to job depending on what you're making. Whether you make a scarf or you make a lace weight onesie. But what I what I'm trying to say here, and trying to be clear about here, is do not undersell yourself. Don't be exploited. You have these mad skills, and in the right situation, the right situation, that carries a price tag. Another uh, person in the Knit British Ravelli group in that thread was Pika the Crafter uh, and she had a really good story. She said she'd had she was selling I'd given me little toys at a, at, a, at a show and somebody came along and picked up one and shook it and said, is this made of gold dust? And she said, well, you know, what is it that you do? And he said, oh, I'm a plumber. And she said, what ha- would happen if someone expected you to charge less for the work that you do? What would you do? And he said, oh, I'd, I, I would walk away. And she said, well, I can't walk away from this table. But you <laughs> Basically, but you can. I think that's an important thing to remember. You know, again, knitting is a skilled craft. Just like plumbing is a skilled trade. Just like, you know, you wouldn't expect a plumber or a builder or um, someone like that to undercharge for the work that they do. So why should you, as a knitter... I said at the start of this episode, or near the start, knitters are awesome. You are awesome. And it bears repeating one last time, for the benefit of the tape, Sarge, what you do with sticks and yarn is valuable. Your time and knowledge, your mad skills, they are so valuable. It doesn't matter whether you only do knit stitches and garter or you create incredible gossamer lace or you're somewhere in between. What you do is incredible. Not everyone can do it. It's rewarding. But above all, above all of this, we are all a little richer. For learning, for being knitters, for being crafters, our lives are richer. We, and only we, know how important the craft is to us. And again, we might never be able to chip away at every single person who has an opinion on a stereotype or a cliche or a misunderstanding, but we are richer and we have this incredible community who really, really get it. That is all for this episode. I will be back next month. Take very good care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Knit British Podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. You can email me, Louise, at knitbritish.net. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at knit underscore British. And I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. Good
1: night, darling. Take care of that throw You're a big thing. It's just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I
0: stand, the sun is shining all over the place.